I would ask you now to take your Bibles and open them to our scripture reading. We will read a few verses from Acts chapter 5, and then we will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We begin in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Then we turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And let's also turn then to our confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20. Here we confess, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me, 
and to remain with me forever. After the proclamation of God's word, we will respond together by singing from hymn 47, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Love, congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you all have noticed in Lord's Day 20, we begin to deal with what we confess concerning the Holy Spirit. And it's not a very long Lord's Day. You will notice that the Catechism spends more time on God the Father and our creation, Lord's Days 9 and 10, and even more time on the work of Christ and our redemption, Lord's Days 12 and following. And the question might come up, why just a little short Lord's Day on the Holy Spirit? But that, a question like that would be based on a misunderstanding of the Apostles' Creed and also of our confession. Because as the heading above Lord's Day 20 indicates, this is about the Holy Spirit and our sanctification, and that includes, of course, the following Lord's Days. It includes the church gathering work of Christ, the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins as described in Lord's Day 21. It also includes what we confess concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, but it doesn't end there. The rest of the catechism is also about the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord's Days 23 and 24, for example, speak about faith and how faith and how righteousness is applied to us through faith. And, as we already confess in Lord's Day 7, faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the work of the Holy Spirit is certainly not absent from what we confess concerning baptism and Lord's Supper. And then when we get to Lord's Day 32 and following about our thankfulness, which deal with how we are to express that thankfulness through prayer and through obedience to the Ten Commandments, no one would deny that this too involves the work of the Holy Spirit. I say all this because... Sometimes our confession is, gets the accusation that it doesn't place much emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, but that's, that's a misinformation. You cannot separate the work of the Spirit really from any part of our salvation. In fact, it would be correct to say that the Spirit is involved in the work of both the Father and the Son. He is involved in our creation, our redemption, and our sanctification. And so this afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God with the following theme, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we will consider three things. First of all, that He is divine, so we'll consider His identity. Secondly, in connection with what we read from 1 Corinthians 2, He makes known to us the depths of God. And thirdly, He is given to us for our comfort. You might have heard before that the Holy Spirit is referred to sometimes as an it or a force, but that is not correct either. And so it's good that the Catechism makes us pause and think about the identity of the Spirit. We confess that He is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. He is a divine person who proceeds from both the Father and the Son, as we just confessed in the Athanasian Creed, also in the Nicene Creed, but He is also an independent divine person. We confessed that the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is no less a distinct person of the Trinity than the Father or the Son. He is a person who exists from eternity. He witnesses to God's church via the Word of God. 
And He dwells in each and every believer and makes us temples of the Lord. Scripture also says that it is possible to grieve Him. And since He is a person of the Trinity, we believe in Him no less than we believe in the Father and the Son. And in our confession, we already covered this aspect concerning the doctrine of the Trinity back in Lord's Day 8. We confess that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. And in Lord's Day 20, however, the emphasis falls on the word together. The Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. That implies that the Trinity is not complete without Him. The divine being who has revealed Himself to us in Scripture, the triune God, is not complete without the person of the Holy Spirit. It is unthinkable for a Christian to believe only in the Father and the Son. It is only together with the Spirit that they form the one true and eternal God whom we love and adore. So the Holy Spirit completes the divine family. And that is really what characterizes the person of the, Trini- the third person of the Trinity. He is the completer. He is the one who, who fills and fulfills. On the day of Pentecost, for example, the Holy Spirit filled the room where the disciples were gathered with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and with His power. This is the kind of completing and fulfilling work that He is known for in Scripture. We find evidence of that already in Genesis chapter 1 in the work of creation. Already before God completed and shaped the world and formed it, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters. So he is fully involved in divine work. He was involved when God said, let there be light. He was involved when God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. Whenever Scripture refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with creation, it is evident that he is the one who fills and completes the work of God. You could say he adds the finishing touches. The Spirit gives life to what is created. He brings order out of, out of what is chaos. That's also reflected in other places in Scripture. For example, Psalm 33, where we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. And Psalm 104 tells us that when God sends His Spirit, He renews the face of the ground. So God... It is the Spirit who who gives the abundance of springtime growth, the fresh green grass, the buds on the trees. He makes new life appear. It is through the Holy Spirit that, that young birds know how to sing. And young animals learn to walk. The Spirit is is the giver of life. Again and again, Scripture articulates that the Holy Spirit gives life and order to the things that are created. He also creates beauty and gives us the ability also to create beautiful things. This was evident in the Old Testament when God appointed two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, to decorate the tabernacle. He filled them with His Holy Spirit so that they could adorn the temple with beautiful carvings and gold and that they could complete the work of the tabernacle, which was a place where God would dwell among His people. So all true beauty in this world finds its source in the Holy Spirit. And so as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, then 
We should avoid what is gross and dirty. Instead, we should love what is clean and beautiful. We should strive for order and avoid chaos. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is the source of beauty is true in even a much higher sense in the area of of grace. In the prophecy of Isaiah, for example, we read that people become more fruitful by the Spirit of God. We read in chapter 32, when the Spirit is poured on us from on high, the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. So from this we understand that the Spirit brings life, order, beauty, and creativity not only to creation, but also to the human mind and the human soul. He not only brings about new life through recreation by regenerating us, but He also brings our life to a higher level. In fact, He raises our life to the highest level possible. Because when He comes into our life, then the ugliness of sin and the dominance of sin disappears. As we heard last Sunday afternoon when Dr. Vischer preached on Romans 5, instead our lives begin to shine with with the glory of grace. The Holy Spirit cleanses our hearts and sanctifies our lives. He gives us the desire to serve God and to serve our neighbor. And He takes our focus away from ourselves so that we are able to enjoy the good things that God gives us and enjoy His goodness and His love. Because without the Holy Spirit, we would all be spiritually dead. So He is the one who destroys the dominance of sin and the dominance of Satan in our lives. He turns the disorder and, and, and the death of our natural selves into order and life. And when He works in you, then you cannot remain what you once were. When He works in you, you are being renewed. You are being refined and polished through His power. And just as the Lord Jesus taught and comforted and encouraged His disciples when He was on earth with them, so the Holy Spirit teaches and comforts us and encourages us in our Christian life. That's the purpose for which He came and for which He was sent. And this Spirit is the one who works in believers, in us. And this Spirit is truly and eternally God. He is not a mere force sent from God, but He is God Himself. As we confessed earlier in this worship service, there are not three gods, but one. And all three persons of the Trinity are equal in glory and majesty and power. They are co-eternal and co-equal. And we have evidence for that, for example, in what we read from Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter asks Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then during that conversation, he says to Ananias, you have not lied to man, but to God. In other words, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to the triune God, evidence that He is God. And because He is God, we are also baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized into the name of the Spirit, the Spirit of God promises that He will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ by faith. And He is the one who builds us into the house of God. 
He takes us, individual stones, and He molds us and shapes us, and He cuts off the sharp edges and takes off what is bad and fits us together so that we are one temple, one building, which is His house, and this is His work, and it's His ongoing work. And so, of course, we understand then that His his work is also not yet complete. Someday when the new heaven and the new earth arrive, when all sin has been taken out of God's creation, then the Spirit will have achieved His goal fully. Then He will resurrect us and give us glorified bodies like the body that Jesus had after He was raised from the dead. And just as in creation He made everything beautiful, He will take everything and beautify it. He will restore creation to its order that it was meant to be in and He will connect us to Himself in the fullest sense of the word, the source of life. Then we will see all of creation restored in its beauty. And so we see then that together with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is true and eternal God. Again, the emphasis falls on that word together. Together with There is a most beautiful and glorious harmony between the three persons of the Trinity. Harmony and cooperation between humans, it fails so often, doesn't it? It gets shipwrecked over and over again. That's because we always, we tend to seek our own honor and glory. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they seek each other's glory. They seek to glorify one another. Jesus said, the Spirit will glorify me. So the Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son in turn glorifies the Father. In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Christ also said, Father, I have glorified you. And so the Father in turn glorifies the Son. In that same prayer, Jesus said, glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. So when we read in Scripture the instruction, each of you should take should look to the interest of others. The triune God Himself is the perfect example of how this command ought to be fulfilled. Because this is something that continuously occupies the Trinity. Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they seek to glorify one another. And they are working together. The Father is the source of our life. The Son has acquired life for us. And the Holy Spirit is the giver and the renewer of our life. He is our teacher. He is our comforter, our encourager, and our counselor. He makes all things new. So His presence is truly a gift from God. I come now to the second point. We have already heard, of course, quite a bit about the work of the Holy Spirit, but I would like to focus our attention this afternoon on yet another aspect of His work. From our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we heard that the Holy Spirit searches everything. He searches out even the depths of God. So in the first place, that means that the Spirit knows who God is and He knows the mind of God. He knows the heart of God. He knows God's plans. He knows the counsel and the will of God. And that is something that no human being can know. For as we confess, for example, in Belgian Confession, Article 1, Our God is incomprehensible. Paul compares this to how well a person knows himself. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But then what is so marvelous and so completely astonishing about the work of the Holy Spirit is that He makes known to us the depths of God, the heart of God. And that's really something. That's really, really something special because in verse 7 already of 1 Corinthians 2, Paul mentions that the wisdom of God is something that's ordinarily hidden from us. And if God had intended that it would remain hidden, then it would remain hidden. We would never find out about it. If it was God's intent that we would never know Him or never know anything about Him, we would never understand anything about His work or His divine wisdom. Because God's plans are so high that His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. His wisdom is something that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined. And if, and if the heart of man had ever imagined it, we would shake our heads and say, that's impossible. That's just too unbelievable to be true. And that's because, also according to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Well, what then what then is the wisdom of God? What is, what is it that the Holy Spirit reveals? The depths in the heart of God. Well, we read the answer to that question in, in verse 2 of this chapter. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This tells us all about what lives in the heart of God. God has a great love in His heart for this world. Because while the world lived in sin and rebellion, God sent His only begotten Son into that very same world And that Son came not only to live here, but to die here. That is how much God cared for the salvation of His people. He sent His Son to Bethlehem, and then on to Jerusalem, and to Golgotha, and to the cross, to hang there in naked shame between two criminals. That is the wisdom of God. The wisdom that freed us from sin. And that is the gospel. That's the good news which the Holy Spirit reveals to us. That is the gospel that lives in the heart of God. And that is also the gospel which dwells in the Holy Spirit because He is God too. He knows God's plans and God's will and He is the one who makes this known to us. In the Old Testament, He drove the prophets to speak about this and to write about this and He has preserved God's Word and God's plan for us in the Holy Scriptures. And today He illuminates our hearts and our minds so that we can understand these Scriptures. And 2,000 years ago, He inspired the apostles and other Old Testament, New Testament authors to write down this good news. He loosened the tongues of the apostles so they could preach the good news to Jews and to Christians and to Gentiles. And he makes it also possible for us to hear this good news. And we can hear it every Sunday again and whenever we open our Bibles. But He does more, congregation. He not only reveals what lives in the heart of God, but He also works that truth into our hearts. And for that we need to be doubly grateful. Because you see, revealing the Gospel isn't enough. There are plenty of people who hear the Gospel but they don't believe it. It was that way in the time of the apostles too. The Greeks thought that the cross was foolishness and to the Jews it was a stumbling block. 
But praise be to God, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts so that we believe what we hear. So that we believe what is revealed about the heart of God. And that's so accurately and, and wonderfully summarized in the canons of Dort. I'd like to read to you from chapter 3, 4, article 11. Chapter 3, 4, article 11. It begins on page 578, I believe, in your book of praise. Where we read that God takes care that the gospel is preached to them and powerfully enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God by the efficacious, that is, by the effective working of the same regenerating Spirit, He also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hard heart, circumcises that which was uncircumcised, and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was bad good which was unwilling, willing, and which was stubborn, obedient. He moves and strengthens it, so that like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. That's how the Holy Spirit goes to work in us. So that people who don't want to believe come to faith. They believe the good news of Christ, crucified for sinners. And congregation, brothers and sisters, that's encouraging for us. It's encouraging that the Holy Spirit is the one who goes to work in us because we can't do it ourselves. And it's encouraging in all kinds of situations. It's encouraging for office bearers who know that they have weaknesses and yet the Holy Spirit wants to use you to do God's work in His kingdom. It's encouraging for parents who have to raise we have to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. And we often mess up the way we discipline our children. We don't always know what's right for them and what's best for them. And we certainly cannot give them faith. How good it is to know then that the Holy Spirit also guides our children. He is the one who works faith also in the hearts of our children. Of course, that means we must remain faithful in our task as office bearers and as parents but we may also rest assured that our weaknesses cannot stop the Holy Spirit from accomplishing His work in the people we shepherd or in the children that we raise. And that's really a truth that is a truth for all of us. The Holy Spirit works faith in us in spite of who we are. He produces the fruits of faith of us in us in spite of who we are. And He even wants to use us in His kingdom work. And that's encouraging too, isn't it? He wants to work in you and with you, and He wants to use you for the advancement of God's kingdom and for building up the communion of saints in spite of the fact that you are a believer with many weaknesses. And what that really means is that God does not leave us to ourselves. 
If it were up to us, we would never believe. If it were up to us, the wisdom of God would remain foolishness. And the law of God would only be something that hinders our fun. It's annoying. But thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit changes that. And He does not leave us to ourselves. He ensures that we hear God's Word, that we hear the preaching of the Word, that you are taught God's Word in catechism class. And He remains with us. He doesn't speak to us on a Sunday and then leave us alone for the rest of the week. We confess in Lord's Day 20, He has given to me to remain in me forever. He remains in me to sanctify me and to work God's Word in my heart and in my life so that I more and more am conformed into the image of my Savior. He remains with me. That brings us to our last point. He is also given to us to comfort us. And that's a comfort in the biblical sense of the word. In the biblical sense, comfort has to do with what happens when you appear in a, in a court, when you face a judge. Because in the court of law, the truth must come out. The job of a lawyer or a judge is to make sure that the truth comes out, that it's revealed. Well, that is also the task of the Holy Spirit. He reveals the truth. He reveals the truth of the gospel. And the truth is that by faith, you are a child of God. The truth He reveals is that you may call upon God as your Father, no matter in what circumstances you find yourself. And the comforting work of the Holy Spirit is that He also assures you of your faith. He makes you live as a child of God. By His power, He applies to you what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. You see, it's not enough that Christ died and rose again. Water cannot quench your thirst if you can't reach the water. And so Christ's work does not benefit you if it's not applied to you. It is the Holy Spirit who brings us in contact with Christ by faith. He is the one who makes us hungry for the bread of life. He makes us thirst for the living waters. And He is also the one who feeds us with the bread of life and gives us that living water. He takes those rich treasures of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from God's wrath, and, and He passes them on to us. He opens our ears, our ears so we can understand the gospel and He renews our minds. He fills our hearts with the love of God so that we become willing to serve our Lord. He makes us share in Christ and all His benefits. He is our helper and our advocate. Again, what Christ did for His disciples while He was on earth, the Holy Spirit does for us now. Through the power of the Word of God, the Spirit draws our attention to Jesus Christ and to Him crucified. Why? Because Christ is the answer. The answer to all of life's problems. Through Him, your sins are paid for. Through Him you are reconciled to the Father and you are safe for eternity. And the Holy Spirit, by faith, assures us of eternal life and makes us heartily willing and ready to serve God. And that's so important for every one of us. And that's so comforting too. One day the work of the Spirit in us and for us will be completed 
It will be fulfilled when we live on the new earth. But in the meantime, we're still living here. In the words of Lord's Day 19, and a world full of sorrows and persecution. And we have to fight all kinds of temptations. Temptations to sin. Sometimes we might have very big battles with particular sins. Often those are sins which the world thinks is just fine. It's not such a big deal. Sometimes we're even told by people we know, don't worry about it so much. It's not such a big deal. Sometimes our own hearts also whisper to us, maybe it's not such a big deal. And then the battle against sin can feel so lonely. And yet, yet, brothers and sisters, those who believe in Jesus Christ are not alone. We stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is your strength. The Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. And He equips us with the armor of God, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the gospel of peace, with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And He helps us to live according to that Word. He renews our lives and gives us the will to live for God. God doesn't leave us to ourselves. Our Lord Jesus Christ didn't leave us to himself, to ourselves when he left this earth and rose into heaven. He gives me his Holy Spirit to dwell in me and to live in me forever. The eternal God lives in me forever so that I share in Christ and all his benefits. In the Canons of Dort, we confess that this is clearly a supernatural most powerful, and at the same time, a most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. And God does this work in us, and for us, and for His glory. May He then also receive all the thanks and praise for this inexpressible work. Amen.